Last Thursday we looked at Nehemiah, man of prayer. Tonight we're going to look at Nehemiah, a man of purpose. Nehemiah chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy kindness sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Who would not, why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, What dost thou make a request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah, and the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, may may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king grant me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, was there three days, and I rose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Now I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, to the king's pool. There was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night, by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went, or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates are ever burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, notice this phrase, that we be no more a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn, and despised us, and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. 
Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity of this hour to look on your word again tonight. Thank you for the privilege you had to meet together. And again, we rejoice in your blessings to us and your mercy you showed uh, to our nation. And Father, I pray that you would continue to undertake. And I pray that you'd help us not to forget to pray for those in authority over us. And uh, Lord, help us not to trust in our authority, but help us to trust in you, the living God. And so, Lord, we just pray you help us tonight look into thy word. And might we rejoice in your goodness. And, Father, might we be encouraged and challenged and conviction where, convicted where conviction is needed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah, a man of purpose. Webster's describes purpose as a reason for which something exists or is done, intended or desired result. So what is your purpose? Do you have a purpose? You know, there's all kinds of things you can, if you go on the internet, how to find your purpose in life. Uh, this one's titled, How to Discover Your Life Purpose in About 20 Minutes. It's put on January 16, 2005 by Steve Pavelina. How do you discover your real purpose in life? I'm not talking about your job, your daily responsibilities, or even your long-term goals. I mean the real reason why you're here at all, the very reason you exist. So here's what to do. Take out a blank sheet of paper or open up a word processor where you can type. Right at the top, what is my true purpose in life? Number three, write an answer, any answer that pops into your head. It doesn't have to be a complete sentence. A short phrase is fine. Repeat, and number four, repeat step three until you write the answer that makes you cry. This is your purpose. Now, he said a lot of other things, too, but he concluded with this. When I did this exercise, it took me about 25 minutes. I reached my final answer at step 106. In other words, that's, the, 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 that's how many answers he wrote. When he got to 106, then that was his purpose. Partial pieces of answer, many surges, appeared at steps 17, 39, 53, and then the bulk of it fell into place and was defined through steps 100 to 106. I felt the feeling of resistance, wanting to get up and do something else, expecting the process to fail, feeling very impatient and even irritated around steps 55 to 60. At step 80, I took a two-minute break to close my eyes, relax, clear my mind, to focus on the intention for the answer to come to me. This was helpful as the answers I received out of this break began to have greater clarity. Here was my final answer. To live consciously, courageously, to resonate with love and compassion, to awaken the great spirits within others, and to leave this world in peace. So that's Steve Pavelina's purpose in life. So when you find your own unique answer to the question of why you're here, you will feel it resonate within you deeply. The words will seem to have special energy to you, and you will feel that energy whenever you read them. Sounds like a bunch of hocus-pocus to me, doesn't it? Dr. Basil Jackson, who's chairman of the Department of Psychiatry, Lutheran Hospital, and director of Jackson Psychiatric Clinic, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, said, and I quote, Young people are asking, what is life all about? They are complaining of a lack of purpose. They are being swallowed up in meaninglessness, meaninglessness and lack of hope. As they reach out for the future, they clutch an empty void. Anxiety is the inevitable result, and drugs are a favorite self-prescribed tranquilizer, unquote. That's just talking to Brother Hoyle about, you know, the weekend coming up here, and, you know, and said that's what a lot of people live for, just for the long weekends. 
And I still don't know, I remember when we were in Maryland, we went over to Walmart one evening, and the boys and I were, it's getting close to hunting season, the boys and I were browsing around in the sporting goods section, particularly the hunting section, you know. And I heard this guy telling his buddy, I guess it was in there, he said, uh, it was Friday night, he said, uh, he said, yeah, that's where I come every weekend. I bring the check home, I give the wife enough for what she needs for groceries and so on, and I just bring the rest of it over here and spend it. A royal purpose, huh? Yeah, really. Um, you know, so what purpose? Nehemiah, what is your purpose in life? Nehemiah had a purpose. It was his reason for everything that he did. Now, we only have 11, somebody, something, you know, around 11 or 12 years of his life recorded for, for us. But everything he did in those 11 or 12 years that we have recorded for us had a purpose. And his purpose was for the reproach to be removed from God's people and God be glorified. Notice again in verse 17. Then said I unto them, you see this distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates are overburned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. So, Practically, as you think about his purpose, practically, what did he do to accomplish it? Well, build a wall. Build a wall. Everything overall evolved around him building that wall. And, of course, the purpose for which he built it was that the reproach of God, the reproach to God, you know, his people, his people, the Jews, were in great distress, and they were a reproach in the condition they're in. They're a reproach to God, God's name. God's temple dwelled in this place. They had, you know, they had already rebuilt the temple. The second temple was already rebuilt. But, but the city was in shambles. I mean, it was defenseless. Um, so practically, that's, that's how he accomplishes his purpose, is, is to build a wall. Now, understand, Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a Levite. He's a statesman. In fact, he becomes the governor. For a period of time. Chapter 8 verse 9. He's called Nehemiah the Tershatha. And that word Tershatha means governor. So he becomes the governor. Of Jerusalem. Or Judea for a while. So I want to look tonight. Some things about this. First of all his purpose. As we think about his purpose. And again his, that purpose is something which. Uh, reason for which he exists. Or uh, intended desire or result. His purpose took precedent. Over his occupation. Notice chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And talking about mercy in the sight of the king. For I was the king's cupbearer. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And notice this phrase. Then was I very sore afraid. So, you know, his, his purpose here takes precedent over his occupation. 
He's a cupbearer to the king. Now, Artaxerxes is the mightiest monarch on the earth at this time. And he's got a huge kingdom, a vast kingdom of territory and wealth. But a cupbearer is a very high and trusted position in the king's court. Uh, He would have been present to hear discussions of issues pertinent to the kingdom. Uh, He was trusted to see to it that the king's drink was not poisoned. You know, if you read about cupbearers, they would they they would they would take the wine in, and before they gave it to the king in the king's presence, they had to drink a little bit of it. He was the tester to make sure that it was okay, that it hadn't been poisoned by an enemy. So again, he's a very trusted. This is a very close position to the king. It's a very trusted position. And he asks the Lord to grant him mercy in the sight of the king. And then he says, when the king saw that he was sad, because he wasn't supposed to be sad. You know, wine is what's supposed to make your heart glad. Uh, speaks of gladness and rejoicing. But, and, and they were not to be sad in the king's presence, but he was and because he was burdened over this the situation at Judea and Jerusalem. And so he asked the Lord to grant him mercy. And he says, when the king said, you're sad. He said, I was very sore afraid. Now, that phrase, sore afraid, means multiplied fearful or dreadful. In other words, he was scared out of his skin. We'd say he's scared to death. You know, I don't know what happens when you get scared half to death twice. But, you know, he was scared to death. He was scared. But see, this burden he had, or this purpose that, that the Lord laid on his heart, was more important than his occupation. It was more important than his life. Because he understood the implications of being sad in the king's presence. Secondly, purpose gave him confidence to seek the help for his worthy cause. Good chapter uh, 2 and verse 4. Then the king said unto me, What dost thou make requests? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And the king said unto me, if it please the, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judea, uh, Judah, unto the cities of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, How long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter unto Ace of the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Uh, so again, understand... You know, this is not a precedent to ask funds from the government for religious affairs. He's not a priest. He's not a Levite. 
He's not going to build the temple or, or make sacrifices. That's not his purpose. He, he's, a, he's, if you will, a politician. He's a statesman. He's not asking for funds for the te- temple or sacrifice. He is asking for supplies to build walls which are fortifications for civil protection. You know, these are, these are the kings. You know, they're still under the authority here of Artaxerxes. They're one of his territories. They're under his authority, and they are to be under his protection. Uh, and they have, you know, they have no walls to their city. And, and, and to be a city without walls in this day and time left you uh, susceptible to roving thieves, to the enemies. It, it leaves you defenseless. You know, it, it really equals poverty, constant danger of losing life and property. Because any enemy that wants to come along, you know, if he's stronger than you are, he just can just take what you have. And if you resist him, well, you just cut your throat. So, he asked, you know, his, his purpose gave him confidence to ask to the king, he, you know, because he believed it's a worthy cause, ask to the king these things. Of course, it's time, and he gives him a set time, verse 6. And we don't know how long he told the king, but he set him a time. He asked for letters of protection or recommendation. Uh, he also asked for timber from the king's forest, verse 8 tells us. Uh, and and he also was given military protection. And again, understand who ne- who Nehemiah is. Uh, See, so he's given military. He was a man from the king's court, king's personal cupbearer. He represented the king, and so it's fitting that he should have armed guard to travel from Shushan all the way back to Jerusalem, which would be up to four-month journey. Uh, as we think about that, you know, he, he represented the king. You know, we represent the king of kings and lord of lords. You know, James calls him the lord of Sabaoth. Anybody know what that means? He's called... Twice in the Bible, he's called, he's once in Romans and once in James, the Lord of Sabaoth. Not Sabbath, Lord of Sabaoth. It means armies. Lord of armies. It's a, it's a military epithet for God. Um, you know, an epithet is an attributed quality. You know, we, we would say King Richard the Lionhearted. So you might say the Lord, a man of war. That's what Lord Sabaoth would maybe equal. Uh, so he was given military. We have military protection. We have God protection. God is our defense. James 4, 6 says, God resisteth the proud. And again, I've mentioned many times that that, that word picture is that he, go, he dresses up in battle array and goes to war against those that are proud. If you're, if you're proud and stubborn against the Lord, the Lord's going to war against you. He's going to go to battle against you. And he's going to bring you, to, bring you low. 
And you can you can look at many examples in the Bible of that Haman, uh, he was brought low. So, so we see several things here. He he has authority of the king to go. We have the authority of the king to go. Matthew twenty eight eighteen nineteen. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Second Corinthians five verse twenty says we are ambassadors, so we have to go with his authority by his appointment to be witnesses to all the earth. We have his authority. Um, he has the protection of the king. Matthew twenty twenty eight twenty again. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Hebrews thirteen five and six. Let your conversation be with that covetousness, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So may Bordel say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man should do unto me. I like what Proverbs 21.20 says. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. I mean, think of all the horses and chariots that Joshua went up against. Greatly outnumbered, but safety is of the Lord. He had the protection of the king. He had also the provision of the king. You know, he, he, he sent a letter to the king's force. I need this, this, and this. Build a wall. And God has pride, promised to provide us the things that we need. Faithfully serve in Philippians 4.19. Uh, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You see, God promised to provide all of our needs. We're faithful to him. And he set him a time. God's given us a time. It's now. It's now. And now, until the Lord comes. That's our time. You know, like what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. Right now. And tomorrow, should we, Lord, tarry his coming. It's now. It's always now. So he set him a time. So the purpose gave him confidence to seek the help he needed for his worthy cause. Uh, gave him permissions for his worthy cause, you might say. Thirdly, the purpose gave him courage to attempt this monumental task against great obstacles. Now, he's not going to friendly territory. Not friendly territory. Uh, notice some of the enemies. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. There was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Now these guys, and, and Tobiah and Geshem, it's mentioned in verse 19, they were... They were making merchandise of the children of Israel. In fact, you're going to find that Tobias, son or son, marries into the 
priest's family. And they made him an office in the temple. We'll find out a little later that Nehemiah runs him off. Uh, the, these, these men don't have the, the, uh, Israel's best interests of mind. They're the enemies. They're the enemies. You know, we have a, we ha- and we have an enemy that works to hinder us every step of the way. Every step of the way. Your first Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Ephesians 5, or Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12, the Bible says, Find my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's, you know, the word wiles is like tricks or subtle uh, devices. And here's the reason. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you ever wonder where the ungodly get their ideas and their energy? Well, Ephesians 2 says, the spirit thou worketh in the children of disobedience. And that word worketh there is the Greek word energo. It's where we get our word energy. The spirit that now energizes the wicked. You know, who would think to come up with some of the stuff they do? They must just sit around and think about all all day long about things they can do to corrupt. Well, no. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, you again, read through Daniel, and, and Daniel reveals to us a little bit of a picture of what's going on in heavenly places, the spiritual battles that are going on, that hindered the answer to Daniel's prayer for 21 days. So, we have an enemy. We have enemies that work to hinder us every step of the way. You know, Paul even talked about it. He said uh, he attempted, and I'm trying to remember which church it was now, he was tempted to go to again uh, a second time, but he said Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. So there's the enemies. There's the rubbish. Chapter 2, verse 13. And I went out by the night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire, and went, up on, went on to the gate of the fountain, to the king of pool, king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. So he here, you know, he talks about it here in chapter two, makes reference to it. Verse chapter four, he makes it very plain. There's a lot of there's a lot of rubbish. You know, they, these these walls and these gates were burned with fire, and nothing had been done since Babylon destroyed it. So it's just there's just debris laying everywhere where they need to build. 
So they, they've got this obstacle of the rubbish. There's a lot of rubbish in the world we have to contend with. Look at Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2. Now, some of you that grew up in another religion can understand this better than those of you who've been in a church like this all your life. But 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. You know, all the false teachings, the philosophies of life that we have in our world today, that, you know, it, what, whatever works, do it. The ends justify the means. All those things are unscriptural. They're, they're diametrically opposed to the Word of God. And all the, you know, again, all, all the false religions, the beliefs about the Bible that we don't have a sure Word of God. You know, how many times have you had people question you, well, you know, we're not sure where the Bible is anyway. After all, we got this and says this and this and says that and this and... So which Bible is it? It causes confusion. You know, that happened several times to me at visitation. You know, one lady said, well, you know, they're all different anyway, so how can we know we have the Word of God? So the beliefs about the Bible, the beliefs about God, the false beliefs about God, and what a Christian is. I mean, you know, a lot of people think Christians go to rock concerts or play rock music. We even got, you know, Christian homosexuals, Christian swingers. And that's what a Christian is? Not according to the Bible, is it? So there's all these false ideas or this rubbish that would hinder the truth of the gospel. And if you grew up in another kind of religion or a different life than, and didn't grow up in church, you understand the fact that you have to unlearn those false ideas and embrace the truth. You know, I was raised in a Mennonite church. So, you can lose your salvation. And you're baptized by pouring. So, I understand a little bit. You know, were, that was the main things. Of course, they also teach that you're supposed to be pacifist. I never quite swallowed that one, though. Um, we did too much in boxing growing up. But, but anyway, uh, you know, so... You know, so there's there's all these this rubbish that gets in the way that many times has to be refuted before people will accept the truth. It has to be replaced with the truth. Things that would dist- there's a, there's things that would just distract us from our purpose in life. The vanities of life. Many, many times they may seem harmless, but they may just take our time. Our finances, 
like the guy who said, you know, he goes to Walmart every Friday night, spends everything he has, except they gave to his wife and the groceries. I mean. So that's a great obstacle. You know, all of us, I'm sure, all of us, if you're like me, we have those things that we that are worthless, that that we struggle with, that are really just a hindrance to us. So there's the rubbish. Thirdly, there are those that ridicule or laugh or make fun. Chapter 2 again, verse 19 and 20. It says, And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? And answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. So there are those who laugh and ridicule and make fun. And their focus, of course, will be to you and I, us right-wingers, who are so intolerant. Their focus will be what you're not allowed to do. You know, that's what they focus on young people, what you're not allowed to do. That's what the devil wants you to think, what you're not allowed to do. That's what Eve did. She thought about what she wasn't allowed to have instead of what she was allowed to have. She could have everything she wanted except one thing. Now, how does that ratio figure out? Positive or negative? I mean, you can have anything you want except one thing. No, we need to focus on what we have. That's what Nehemiah did. But so often we only focus on, you know, we might say, well, if I only had, someone else has better than I, better car, better job, better house, whatever. No. No, notice he said, I answered them and said, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants arise and build. You have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. So there were those that ridicule, laugh, and make fun. And then, fourthly, the indifference of brethren. This is probably the hardest one to deal with. Chapter 3, verse 5 says, they're beginning to build. It says, and next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. The nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. You know, these are the nobles, the wealthy, the powerful, the princely, the upper class, the ones that have. Evidently, they didn't want to get their hands dirty. Or they're like Michael, you know, Saul's daughter, when she saw King David dancing before the Lord and before the maidens. And she said, you made yourself base today in front of all the maidens. In other words, he made himself equal with all the people. That's what he did. 
the indifference of the brother. You know, Paul, Paul understood this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul was not despondent, but I think he was discouraged. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Do thy diligence come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Now, all those haven't forsaken him, but some of them were just sent out to other places. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. In the books, but especially the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly stood our words. Now he's being tried at Rome. And this is what he says. At my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. Now, I don't think he's referring to Luke. Because he says in just a few verses before that, only Luke is with me. Luke, Luke traveled with him everywhere he went. Luke, you know, penned the book of Acts, and that records Paul's, you know, the last half of the book of Acts records Paul's life, basically. Uh, so I believe, most commentators say, believe that Luke was with him, and I think he was. But everyone else, there was a church in Rome. There was a church there. Where were they? Where were they? He said, no man stood with me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. You see, sometimes reaching people, ministering to people, the work of the gospel sometimes makes you uncomfortable. Sometimes it's like getting your hands dirty. Jude 23 says, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You ever, you ever made it uncomfortable? Or feel uncomfortable? You go to somebody's house and there's... Well, we had a couple visits here one time, quite a, few, a couple years ago. Evan and I went to see them. Looked like a nice couple. My wife said to me, I'm not sure they're married. She moved here for him. And Evan and I went to see him, Brother Francis and I went to see them afterwards. He was very cold and not interested at all. And I wanted to ask, but you know, I feel a little uncomfortable. Are you married? Yeah, sometimes you want to ask, do all these kids have the same father? Do things like that make you uncomfortable? They do me. You see, sometimes reaching people with the gospel is uncomfortable. It's dirty work. It means getting down where they are. Meeting them where they are. I'm not, I'm not meaning being like one of them, but meeting them where they are. But Nehemiah had a purpose. These things did not deter him. You see, his purpose was to see God glorified by building the wall that removed the reproach from his people. 
the shame and disgrace to God by the condition of God's city, the place of his temple and his presence. See, his purpose was preeminent. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added on you. You know, we may face hardships, we may face suffering, we may face catastrophes in life, but we don't have to be a reproach. Our purpose, no matter what happens, no matter who gets elected to this governor, ought to be to glorify God by faithful witness, life, and testimony through his church. So the question is, how do we look to the outside world? How do I look? Are we glorifying him? Is that our purpose in life? You know, if we know the Lord, we have a high and noble purpose. Jesus said he came to give us life and life more abundant. And we of all people have a purpose in life. And that is to glorify our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Might God help us as Nehemiah to purpose to glorify him. Let's pray.